Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are joined this morning by the illustrious Ellen Pogamiller, one of our uh, members of our legislative and political organizing team. Good morning, Ellen. Morning. Well, this has been an eventful week. Um, first, can we talk about vaccines? That's what everybody's talking about. The um, the, can you kind of go over what was announced uh, yesterday, Thursday? Yes. Um, well, we were all really excited. This is something that OEA has been really pushing for for a long time, um, ensuring that our staff, employees, support staff, receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, at the press conference yesterday, all school employees will be eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine beginning on February 22nd. So I know I felt a relief personally for our members, but I know they have to be thrilled to get that news. And uh, they're they're uh, talking about specifically working directly with school districts, which I thought was pretty exciting um, because at the beginning of the pandemic or the beginning of the vaccine administration, there was the thought that it wasn't really going to be possible to do it at school sites. So that's, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is really exciting. Um, They are asking all school districts to work with their Department of Health, either county or, it depends on the district, but, um, and what they're asking the school district to provide is the number of employees who want to receive the first dose of the vaccine, number of employees who need a second dose, Mm -hmm. and when employees can be vaccinated. So if you're hearing from your district leaders, Answer Why? them. Yeah. <laughs> Answer them quickly and, and take advantage of it because they he's, uh, they said in the rollout, um, February 22nd at predetermined locations, two to three weeks of concentrated efforts for educators. It's exciting. And so um, because they opened it up to the million people with comorbidities that are 18 and, and older, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that that puts more pressure on. And like we've said before, everybody needs to have the shot. Right, right. But this is your opportunity to have been moved to the front of the line to start um, to start that process of making it even more safe for us to be back in school. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I just want to say quickly that in we had hustled all of our members, reminding them to register on the state portal. And there are lots of folks who can't get the shot for various reasons, um, expectant mothers, um, folks who are, you know, experiencing some health problems that prevent that. There, there are different reasons that people can't take the shot. So um, even if the answer is no, be sure to get back to your district quickly so that they can get that count in. Yeah. And, and if you have a question about whether or not you should take the shot, please talk to your health care provider. Yeah. Because there's so many individual scenarios and it's an individual, you know. It's not, it's not for everybody right now. So just make sure you're talking to your doctor. Um, so there were some other big wins this week. What are, give us, give us good news. What's happening? So some great news. Um, you know, we had session this week and um, Is we that are- Is really great news? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's the job, I guess. Um, but we were really concerned. I know we talked last week with you all on- um, the podcast about 
Senate Bill 891, which would um, kind of eliminate pension for new employees. Perfect. And we advocated hard um, to ensure that our educators still um, would get to be a part of the pension program. And we were told um, that Senator Newhouse pulled that legislation and that he would not be bringing it back out and that he would be doing an interim study on the pension system. So that was a huge win across. That's massive. You know, massive. That's great. Um, and another one was our play-based learning standards. Um, Jacob Rosecrantz, Representative Rosecrantz out of Norman, was our legislator of the week for his, Yay! Yay! <laughs> his continued strong advocacy on play-based learning. Mm -hmm. um, this is a legislation that he has been working on for the past couple of years. And sometimes it's a good reminder that although um, his play-based learning is not going to be a mandatory, you know, that you have to do it, mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of encouraging um, districts to have play-based learning. Mm -hmm. But through that process, um, for the first time this past year, that we passed new science standards. And for the first time, they've included in those science standards play-based learning as part of that standard. Oh, that's so, awesome. You know, it, it, legislation, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is bad, but it can be awesome and it can change, you know, incrementally over time. Um, and it just, um, we appreciate him raising this awareness of the importance of play-based learning. You know, the pendulum swung so far to that test and label and punish yeah. uh, under No Child Left Behind that, that really the outside world doesn't understand how kids develop and the brain development in right. in early years and they have to have that play yeah Just cramming reading writing and arithmetic you know at an early age is not healthy so, are so you're telling so me that, that play-based learning is important you're telling me that uh kindergartners aren't interested in just doing flashcards what? <laughs> well, those are, I mean, those are, those are, that's all good news. We know that um, it's always going to be a mixed bag. What, um, what's on our radar coming up that so, people need to be aware of? So we're reaching out again to our, um, our educators. We are really concerned about legislation um, on Monday. If there's a session, we're going to pretend like this weather doesn't exist and that session will be back on Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, Representative um, LePac has is bringing a bill, House Bill 1982, okay. which um, takes the Equal Opportunity Scholarship um, voucher. And um, right now there's a cap for the amount of money that can go into that voucher system. Mm -hmm. And what it does is every year, as long as state budget is you know, doesn't decline. And as long as they're, you know, using 90% of what's put in, um, they can increase the cap by 25% every single year. What? So there is no accountability. Um, there is no reporting system on who uses it, the income limits, cool. where that funding's going. And um, they what can- could just, go What could go wrong? What could go wrong? The other little trickery is clearly we see this as an education bill, but they have put it in the Finance and Revenue Taxation what? Committee. What? That so, is, what? That's yeah. that's a deviation from what they've done in the past. 
So instead of having our educator committee members vote on an education bill, we're asking a taxation group to vote on this. So shenanigans. This requires more education from our members to reach out to these legislators. Yeah. And so we will have a list up of who those members are. Um, But um, Representative Scott Fettgatter is um, the chair of that committee. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyway, we are going to need your help in ensuring that this legislation doesn't get out of committee. So So you heard that here, start calling and writing the taxation committee. What is and the committee called again? Finance and <laughs> Revenue Taxation. Yeah. Clearly. Obviously. <laughs> you you had me at hello. <laughs> and uh, that house that's House Bill 1982. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, um we uh there's other new, speaking of vouchers. Speaking of vouchers, um we joined a coalition this week and Yes, um, we did. Uh Alicia, will you tell us about that? It is um it it is a just an amazing uh coalition of folks called the public funds for public schools oklahoma coalition uh-huh. and we joined along with um uh oklahoma advocates um the pta oklahoma plac the parent legislative action committee uh school nurses organization Pastors for Oklahoma Kids, the Oklahoma Conference of Churches. I mean, there is just a broad-based coalition. AFT, AFT, Oklahoma. AFT, Oklahoma, AFT, and AFT, OKC. Yeah, yeah. Um, both in it. Uh, the rural schools. Yes. Um, Good. Rural schools coalition and yep. the Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, um, let me, I want to get it right. Organization of Rural Oklahoma Schools. So, I mean, it's it's parents, it's but churches, it's it's everyone um, in that coalition uh, fighting vouchers together. Yeah. Well, there is plenty to fight this session about vouchers, especially the one that Ellen just. Lots of these open-ended, do whatever, and Ellen, you said it so well. No accountability. No. Uh, tracking just so there's a lot for this coalition to go up against this year and it's a it's a broad base that's that's everybody in the education system plus um plus churches and just like we talked to pastor clark fraley last week or the week before before that's time is a construct right now i don't know when it was recently that we (laughs) talked to him last week or not um about about the religious argument against vouchers it's fascinating fascinating so well lots I've keep- got an idea yeah how about we fund public schools get out get out uh, <laughs> instead of sending our money to you know privatize and um you know not help the 90 plus percent of students that are in public schools well, thank you, Ellen, for the update, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, we appreciate the work you do, um, and uh, we will uh, we'll be looking to see what happens on Monday. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, members, for your continued advocacy and sticking with us this session. We need your help.
Well, we're joined this morning by Dr. Pam Deering, Executive Director for the Cooperative Council for Oklahoma School Administration. Oh, good morning. It's great to see you, Carrie and Alicia. Thank you for having me this morning. Yes. Well, um, for folks who might not be familiar, before we, we want to talk about funding, uh, the funding formula, before we get into that, for folks who might not know, um, give us a little background on what is COSA? What do you guys do? Well, I'd love to. Um, COSA is an organization that represents almost uh, 3,000 members, uh, those members being superintendents, central office staff, high school, uh, middle school, and elementary principals, and our uh, directors of special services in the state. So uh, we also have business associates as well uh, and university associates, but our active members are of those groups uh, that we love and serve through uh, advocacy work, uh, uh, membership individually, and then also through professional development. So, um... The reason we wanted to talk to you specifically as the Cooperative Council for Oklahoma School Administration is you guys are so intimately familiar with the funding formula. And that came up in the governor's state of the state last week. Um, we want to we'll, we want to talk about ghost students. We'll do that in a minute. But um, what the main issue was that he brought up was the three-year rolling average for, or the, the three-year high for, um, for state funding. Count. Yes, mm -hmm. for student count. Um, can you give us the, the background of that? That's been around for a while. And why um, why does that exist? Oh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm going to date myself just a little bit. I was in the State Department of Education in the assistant superintendent, state superintendent role in finance when the formula actually was being developed in the 80s. And so, um, I, again, the formula has stood the test of time. It's over 30 years old right now that... Uh, a highly equitable formula. Again, we've talked a lot about it needing funding, but uh, actually there are lots of great provisions in, in the formula. And that particular component, I believe, came along in the 90s, maybe the mid 90s. Uh, again, it, it's there for a protection for schools as they uh, lose students, as revenues shift. Um, if you look at the research nationally, you'll see that um, uh, when there's a declining enrollment provisions, you've got to look at what's going on in that community, uh, aging populations, industry leaving, um, all kinds of things that impact schools and why there is a need to have uh, that provision that protects the schools financially, uh, in addition to the fact that schools are planning and budgeting for staffing. So uh -huh. that three-year provision is really a, a protection uh, it helps schools budget and plan for the year. Uh, and again, it stood the test of time uh, for many years uh, to help schools remain financially stable. And we've seen what a blessing it's been as uh, state revenues have failed, you know, for many, many years, uh, up for what a couple and then down again. So again, as you adjust revenue and expenditures, you really need that provision to help keep your stable, your district stable. Otherwise, you may have to lose teachers at the last minute or, um, I mean, you know, and that is detrimental to our kids. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, again, it's, it's there for that protection and to keep those communities and schools, you know, uh, in place because we all know our schools, our, our communities love our schools. So what would happen, um, I mean, because this is a, you know, a very real conversation that's happening at the Capitol, what what would happen if you ha if you're if you're a shrinking district and which can be an urban issue, a rural issue? I mean, this is this is not uh, geographically bound to any one place. 
if you're a, if you're a shrinking district at at the moment for any one, any reason, um, and you go from your high three years ago to your current enrollment today, like if we took away the previous three years, what does that mean financially for a district? Like, what would that look like in in real life? Uh, it would absolutely be scary, and particularly as we're looking at a year in a pandemic when enrollments yeah. are just two. Uh, yeah, it would be very scary. We keep reminding people that before you make huge decisions like these, you need to be looking at data. And if you just were to think about moving from um, um, two years of enrollment data to a current year and look at your numbers as a school district, if you are one of those districts on the first year or the second preceding year, you would likely see uh, a, a devastating impact, you know, in terms of your state aid funding on top of what we've seen with a loss per student of right at $200. So I really, we keep pointing people back to look at data before yeah. you sweeping changes. And that will be key. I think, I think legislators would be interested in seeing what that effect would be on their own communities. So philosophically, people think that's a good idea. Hey, just to drop to current year when it's not. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, the term ghost students, because I think that those of us who are watching it, that sort of made us tilt our heads. Wait, what? Um, what, what is, what's the governor talking about and what, um, because we've heard it used in different ways. So can you kind of talk about that, that specific phrase? Oh, absolutely. There, there is no definition, you know, for a yeah. ghost student. Uh, we were surprised as, as anyone simply because it, it sounds as though there's something illegal something mysterious around it when that's not it at all. The provision that's in statute right now is, is legal. It's been there for years. Uh, the provisions for those enrollments, as we've taught before, are there to maintain stability. And I think if you want to sensationalize something, you use terms that appear to be, you know, scary yeah. and, oh my goodness, you know, you're, yeah. you're students that maybe you didn't have the year before without realizing uh, what you're really saying. And the impact is that all of our kids are accounted for. There aren't kids that are not accounted for. And so uh, the term ghost students, we're really moving uh, away from any conversation around it because it just doesn't lead to the right discussion and the purpose yeah. for why the formula was designed. So. So how does COSA feel about the formula? How, how do you guys feel about this specific issue of taking away the three-year high? And how do you guys feel about the formula as a whole? I'll start with the formula as a whole. We believe it is a strongly equitable formula. I know uh, Senator Stanislavski in his, his last few years uh, studied the formula and offered some suggestions for changes. Some of those were good. Some of those cost a lot of money. Yeah. So I think that's the reason it didn't. A lot of the things weren't changed, that there are some things that would be good to change in the formula that, sure. that we believe in. Um, this particular provision, I'll just be very frank, uh, in a pandemic, you don't make these kinds of changes that will yeah. shift and redistribute money. Um, you study this issue and the impact on your local school district and on the state as a whole uh, before you make sweeping changes that sound good and has a great soundbite, you know, to the public, but uh, you've just got to look at the data. So uh, we would be willing to look at any changes that would tweak or help the formula in the sense of understanding it, making it more simple, 
this particular provision is one that I don't believe we need to tackle this year. Well, one way they could fix the formula is to fund it. <laughs> we always try to end with it, you know, fix something with money in this case because it's it's starved and yeah. it's fully equitable. And the provisions, again, as we've said, have stood the test of time. But uh, again, just look at the data. Uh, State Department has lots of data that I think can support and or uh, clarify why you wouldn't want to do these this kind of uh, make this kind of change in a formula this year and even in the future. So, well, I oh. think clarify was a very polite word. That was very nice. It was good. <laughs> I well, felt um, a stronger about that, but you know. yeah. COSA does uh, does a lot of of stuff, and we've we focused on one little issue of it. What else is COSA doing right now uh, for public education and for your members? Well, uh, first of all, I want to say um, I'm glad that we are all together in our education coalition. I have to say that that's that's been a, a huge uh, benefit, I think, to the education community uh, that we stand together on so many things around issues uh, around voucher issues, uh, not supporting them um, around issues that impact public ed negatively. And I'm very proud that we're a part of our, our coalition that 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 stands for public education. From COSA particularly, we are working on a campaign, uh, Public Schools, the Heart of the Community. Uh, it's really our attempt to uh, work with our soups and our directors uh, to say, take this message back to your legislators and to your community to remind them, again, that everything is local and that here are here are ideas that you can use in talking with them. It would be more like you'd talk with your Rotary Club uh, or your board members would have a great speech, you know, Here's what we can do uh, are, are doing for uh, our, our schools, our communities. And so we're making that effort in the next couple of weeks to as legislative breakfast and dinners and meetings happen, that we can uh, share that message and remind them that um, you love your public schools and even now more than ever, how important they are to the community. And, and then it's right in time for um, public education week. Uh, are you guys going to celebrate that big? Uh, we do. We try to make sure that our, our schools are reminded. I know you all do as well and make a big, huge push to say, again, public schools, you know, are there. They are the heart of the community and, and we love you, public schools. Well, I think it's also just in time for Valentine's Day and I appreciate it. Heart of the heart of the community. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Deering, for your advocacy and thank you for taking time to visit with us today. So welcome. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And welcome to Alicia's morning announcements. Do, 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 do. All right. So um, as we said earlier, uh, teachers and support staff pre-K through 12 are eligible uh, starting February 22nd to get the shots. So yes. if your administration sends a survey of wanting to know who all wants a shot, needs a shot, uh, what, you know, uh, if you're if you're waiting for your first shot or your second shot, answer yep. that survey. Yes, uh, it's super, super important. Also go ahead and sign up on the portal if you haven't. Yep. Um, so they're just trying to gauge because they're going to do two to three weeks of concentrated effort for educators from what the press conference said. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, we want to make sure that everybody is signed up and ready so that we can continue to be back in school safely or or start planning for yeah. uh, that safe return to school. <sighs> Feels like the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, my goodness. So exciting. So, um, so they had a one-time deal in Norman this week and I got my first shot and I I mean, when I made it through with a confirmed appointment, I just cried because I I didn't realize how stressful it is, you Mm -hmm. know, just knowing and being around people and, and worrying about, um, about how that's going to affect your, your long-term health. Yes, it's, it is. uh, I'm just so grateful that everybody's going to have the opportunity to have protection that they yeah. will be, that they will be able to be safe and be able just to do their jobs without fear. I mean, yeah. I'm just so, I'm so grateful that I'm just so grateful that everybody's going to be able to, to get it if they want it. And I just, am, and, and uh, our students without the fear of yeah. accidentally spreading it. I mean, because yes. we over the town halls and stuff that we've had the last couple of weeks, we have heard that over and over from teachers that the kids are just worried that they're that they're yes. going to give their teacher or their parents um, yes. COVID, and yes. uh, nobody needs to live with that stress. Right, especially when you're in first grade for pizza. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, so exciting! All right. I, I was getting the feels for a minute. I'm. Gonna push <laughs> it's allowed. <laughs> it's allowed. All right. And as Ellen said earlier, we need to contact the Appropriations and Budget Subcommittee on Finance, Review, and Taxation. Obviously. Big, big, long, important title. Um, The chair is Scott Fettgatter. And um, and Carrie, who else is on that committee? Um, The vice chair is Representative Steve Beshore. And the members are Representative Marilyn Bell, Representative Brad Bowles, Representative Rusty Cornwell, Representative Mickey Dollins, Representative Brian Hill, Representative Mark Lepak, Representative Gary Mize, and Representative Mike Osborne. So all over the state, odds are somebody's close to you. Yes. So that was House Bill 1892? 1982. It was the year year my little brother was born, in case anybody needs help remembering. My little brother was born in 81. 1982. But this is 1982. Uh, House Bill 1982, and it increases the um, the vouchers, although to they've infinity. To, yeah to infinity and beyond, <laughs> which in this case is not good. No, thank you. Uh, so call call those folks and um, friendly and polite. Yes, for say sure. no, thank you. Yeah, it's not <laughs> good you, for no, kids. Thank you. And we're all about to be trapped inside for the foreseeable future. So. So, you probably got time. I'm going to yeah, have time. <laughs> probably not um, handwritten letters right now because right. they may not get delivered in time. Right. But, uh, but a email, a phone call, yes. or, or several would be yep. helpful at this point. Um, we, we've got, I mean, there are so many horrible voucher bills, and this is one of the first ones up. So uh, let's yeah. stop it now. All right. Um, this is Black History Month, and we uh, I hope that you are celebrating and incorporating uh, some curriculum and lessons in in, but not just during February, all year long. It is so important that our students see themselves in curriculum, uh, in science and math and um, 
in in the books that you're reading, in the stories and literature. Uh, it is so important for them to see themselves. Mm-hmm. So we should be incorporating uh, incorporating Black history throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And if you need resources. If you need resources, we have them, okea.org slash black history. Um, our members put through uh, some fantastic curriculum, and we add to that uh, webpage all the time um, with with quality vetted curriculum for you, uh, no matter what grade that you teach, yeah. um, that can help you. So go to the go to the webpage. And lastly, we have Read Across America coming up and uh the theme is zoom into a good book which is appropriate i I do i love it like i do too i do too and i do love to zoom into a good book um we have a poster contest every year at oklahoma education association and uh poster and coloring because yes um i just love it so cute Yes, it, it, yes, it is adorable. The deadline is February 20, 26th. Uh-huh. Uh, anything else that we need to know about the Read Across? Uh, you, can, uh, you can access it from the homepage, okea.org. It's right yes. there. Yes. So, uh, so this, this, this weekend is Valentine's Day. We're going to be yes. snowed in with our families. Yes. So um, that's going to be full of love. I, can I just tell you that I'm, one thing that I do really look forward to for Valentine's Day is our OEA's uh, Valentines. And we have uh, different staff members that have been working on that. And we're going to have some pretty uh, adorable and hilarious Valentines. So be, I love it. Be on the lookout for those on, on Sunday. On the Twitter and the Facebooks. And the Instagrams and the Pinterests. And all, Are we TikToking yeah. yet? No, but we're going to, and I'm so excited because there are so many hilarious, there's so many hilarious things that need to be done. There's so Excellent. many, we're just trying to find, uh, we're trying to uh, find some people who are, are willing to be voluntold to, to be the stars of the show. If you're interested in uh, TikTok performances, you just. I mean, I do want to do one of those ones where you change clothes in the middle of the yeah. TikTok. Uh-huh. Change. I I have ideas of changing from different red for ed outfits. Yeah, you've got plenty of yeah. red for ed. <laughs> I, yes. Yes. So it's coming. It's coming. Our goal is by the end of the school year. So it's going to be fun and hilarious. All um, right. So make sure you check our insta. What do you? How do you say insta faces? Insta, insta space of face grants <laughs> on Sunday for Valentine's Day and Pinterest. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, we want to say thank you to Ellen Pogamiller of our lobbying team and Dr. Pam Deering of the Cooperative Council for Oklahoma School Administration for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.